0: In the military, we have a saying that the enemy has a choice. Doesn't matter how great you think your product or service is, or who you think it's for. Until you go to market, it's an educated guess at best. From there, it's your responsibility to identify whether you're going to stick to the plan, such as selling craft beer via a subscription service model to willing consumers, or shifting to a business to business model, selling beer, snacks, and other CPG items to corporate offices. If that sounds too far off, it's not, because that's exactly what happened to today's guest, Claude Burns, founder and CEO of Office Libations, a full-service beverage and snack company that provides beverages and snacks to companies of all sizes. I had a chance to sit down with Claude in person this week at the Bunker Lab CEO Circle flying powered by J.P. Morgan & Chase, not only to hear the origin story of Office Libations, including what it was like to lead the company through a global pandemic when offices no longer needed his services, as well as what innovation looks like for a small business when the odds feel stacked against you. Before you hear from Claude and I, do me a favor and make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.steadman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Also, if you're interested in applying to CEO Circle or know someone who is, applications are now open. In order to qualify, you must be a growth stage business generating at least a million dollars or more in revenue or have received a significant investment of $5 million plus. Be sure to review the eligibility criteria before applying. I'll be sure to include the link in the show notes as well. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation also provides mentorship, and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show, and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Claude, my man, fellow Academy grad, entrepreneur, someone who I looked up to, still look up to when I was entering this ecosystem, because I didn't know too many Naval Academy entrepreneurs. We connected on LinkedIn, and i finally able to get you on the Transition Podcast, so welcome, man. Hey, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, Claude, tell everybody about Office Libations and uh, actually also let them know what we're doing here today in the, the beautiful city of Chicago for this CEO Circle flying.
1: All right. So to start, Office Libations is a corporate refreshment and break room supply provider. And we also do food service, lunches, breakfast for companies in the San Francisco Bay Area. So we're headquartered out of San Leandro, sort of a suburb right outside of Oakland. Today, we're in Chicago with the Bunker Lab CEO Circle. It's sort of a cohort based learning model to where you learn from other veteran CEOs. So high level of trust, you know, you know, they're vets, you you know, they're CEOs, you know, that they have a lot of the same background, a lot of the same challenges. And so you really get to the core of, you know, trusting each other and solving each other's problems and sometimes just having a good time.
0: Yeah, man, there's something about getting out from behind the computer screens because we're on Zoom, Teams, in email all day. But to be able to come here, break bread, fellowship, I'm a huge fan of it. Always tell people you got to get out there and actually get out and about in the community. One of the things I try to do on this platform is share a little, get a little vulnerable. And you and I both know. There are a lot of pretenders out there that make you think they're killing it all the time, but the realities of running a business and even being away from it for two to three days is not an easy thing to do. So I would love for you to get vulnerable with our listeners and take off your armor and let us know something you're struggling with, either personally or professionally as an entrepreneur.
1: Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, it's certainly not, not easy. I think the, you know, the the hustle porn of how like you're crushing it and doing well every day is, has not been my experience with, you know, entrepreneurship. I think it's gone everything from, you know, doing very alone feeling like very depressed and sometimes especially when you're starting out you're you're building something or creating something by yourself and you're literally the only person who believes that you're going to do it your friends won't believe you your family won't believe you you know your customers a lot of times as early customers will won't believe you and so it takes a lot of i think perseverance and you know grit just to tell everyone that they're wrong and sort of keep pushing through but there's been a, a lot of dark days and I would probably say the dark days actually outnumber the the good days, but those good days are 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 pretty magical.
0: Is there anything keeping you up at night currently? I mean, for us, we're we're a, you know very
1: operationally intensive business. A lot of people, a lot of moving things, and so it's always about you know our team and as our team delivering the standards that we set and making sure that we're meeting the customers and not just their expectations, but exceeding those expectations and always trying to get better. And I think when you're always at that sort of growth mindset, we got to get better. You
0: always you, you just stay up at night. <laughs> and to be truth, man, Claude, you've been through it, man. The pandemic happened, right? All them corporate offices shut down. And like a lot of entrepreneurs, you had to figure it out. And then we go from that, come into a recession, you know, then you got the Silicon Valley Bank debacle and all that stuff's going on. It's almost like one hit after the other. Yeah, you kind of summarized that nicely. But uh, just to give your like listeners
1: context, we we work in offices, and many of our clients are sort of tech professional service firms. So many of them are capable and do work from home. And so when the pandemic hit, we lost ninety five percent of our revenue. I laid off eighty five percent of our staff, and it took a good eighteen months before we started to see the the business start to come back. And you know we, we did really well in twenty twenty two and have continued to grow and you know really build a nice business. But yeah, the, then then we sort of have the tech Armageddon and, you know, banks failing, especially the banks our customers use. So it was, it was a rough, uh, I think three years, three years with a lot of, you know, up, you know, mainly downs, but some ups. And I think, you know, being a veteran, you're, you're used to stuff being hard all the time. So you kind of just embrace the suck and, you know, kind of work through it because, you know, you have a, a mission or a vision of what you want to
0: accomplish and you don't let anything stop that. So what, Made you become an entrepreneur in the first place? I'm here. I'm curious to learn about your journey. I'm probably not very good at following rules, <laughs> and I think that I
1: want you know I have a vision for like how I how I think things should be, and think that you know ultimately I can do a good job at it. I think the you know for some people the the wealth side and the money side, and it's certainly important to me as well, but the the opportunity to create a business you only really have to be right once and you can create generational wealth for you know you your family to do with whatever you want with it donate it all to charity it it doesn't matter whereas when you when you're W two employee, you're working. Those options aren't always there. Although I think your ups and downs are much more balanced. So I think as a as a lifestyle, not owning a business is probably a better fit. When people say lifestyle business, I'm not really sure what they mean by that, because it's all encompassing. Especially when you want to do well and you want to grow and and you want to deliver the best you know possible service and value to your customers. Those businesses, I I don't I don't think are relaxing.
0: Yeah, I always get offended when people are like, oh, that sounds like a nice little lifestyle business. They're like, do you know how hard it is to take an idea from scratch and launch it into the marketplace, get paying customers? Yeah, you might not be, you know, Salesforce or Facebook, but man, you're still making impact. You're still making profit. I think that's a respectable thing to have.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's to me, it's learning, right? It, that's that's the piece that I think gets overlooked is like you try something, you fail. Well, you learned a ton. You try something again. You take those learnings. You fail again. I mean, I've launched many products, you know, many companies that have that have completely failed. Some got zero traction, absolutely zero. And it's sort of like, okay, what did I do wrong there? What 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 did I? What how could I have not had that ha- happen? You know, the 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 after action report, which you know the military is pretty good at doing, I think helps as an entrepreneur when you're looking at what's your next venture? Why are you going to do it? What's the purpose of this? And really, sort of helping you condense all of that learning into one thing. I think about like the amount of stupid things I know now because I've had to learn it from running a business is, wild, like things I never would have thought or been interested in having to learn. I had to learn because nobody else knew how to do it. And that's kind of of fun if you like learning, you know, from driving a forklift to rearranging a warehouse to how the alcohol industry works to running a kitchen. I mean, roasting coffee, like which is pretty fun. I'd recommend it to anyone. You know, those things you just learn as an entrepreneur.
0: So I was telling Claude before we went live was, I've been getting hit up by a lot of you out there that are Going to be transitioning out, you know, maybe two to three years from now. And a lot of people already know that they have that entrepreneurial bug and they want to start a venture. And so a lot of you are reaching out to me on LinkedIn or shooting me emails. And so I want to ask Claude to talk to us about what did your transition look like? I know you went to grad school, but then at what point did you say, hey, I want to earn, you know, income for myself by way of launching a business?
1: Yeah. So when I got out, I you know decided I was going to go to business school. So I applied to five different schools. I wrote four applications on how I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I wrote one application on basically how I wanted to be like kind of basically a consultant or something along those lines. Four of the schools rejected me. Those were all the entrepreneur ones. And then the one school I got into, which was MIT Sloan, I wrote on applied to their LGO program, which is kind of an operations. Uh, Heavy mass dual masters program, so I got into that one, and then I immediately went and like took all the entrepreneurship courses that I could take, and all the you know, some coding courses on the other side of campus, which is the hardest class I've ever taken in my life. I felt really really dumb after taking that. I think for me, it's always been something that I've that I've wanted to do, and so being an entrepreneur, sort of having your vision come to life, it, I think you. Some people are just naturally born with it. I think some people, and not, the, not that you can't be an entrepreneur if you're not born with that, but some people it's like, why does a bird fly? It just has to fly. That's That's kind of the way I feel. It's like, I just have to do
0: it. And so you hinted at that Office Libations was not your first venture. You threw a bunch of stuff at the wall, some stuff, some just, some stuck, some just kind of crashed and burned. So what was the first business you launched either while at business school or after?
1: Yeah. So business school, I was working on basically a technology to help fight credit card fraud using voice biometrics. Super high tech, right? Really kind of fun. Talked to some banks, but really had no idea how to build a tech company, how to raise money, how to do any of those things to get a product uh, like that to market. But, you know, did a, did a lot of assembling the team and understanding, you know, what it what people are looking for when they want to invest in a company. And, and we were not that. The team kind of fell apart. And so going into my second year of school, decided on a company called Noble Brewer, which is the original company that Office Libations actually came out of. And that was a e-commerce subscription beer club where we'd find really talented amateur homebrewers, beer makers, and we'd partner them with like a professional brewery to make their beer and sell it online. And it's back in like 2014 when subscription boxes were all the craze and we you know launched that business by myself basically in a warehouse you know i was literally sitting in a room by myself trying to figure out how to how to get this off the ground and i think that's you know when i talked about you're going to be alone a lot of times when you start it by yourself yeah there's a lot of days i was just in an office by myself you know i'm trying to talk to people and all of those things but you're you're by yourself doing it but out of that we grew that to about a million dollars about 2500 customers subscribers or, you know, whatever subscription people. And then, but during that process started to approach offices and really learned about the office market and realized
0: that there's kind of an opportunity there. How quickly did you have to pivot once you realized like, Hey, okay, we launched Noble Brewer subscription beer, but now you're starting to talk to these corporate offices and they're basically asking you, Hey, what else can you provide? Essentially, how quick did you make that adjustment and say, Hey, I think this is the route we need to go. It
1: took a while. <laughs> I think. I think I would like to say like, oh, uh, I had this uh, plan or this game plan, or, but really, we started selling, you know, beer to offices because we needed to bring in money. So I'd load up my jeep in the you know morning at five a.m. and drive all downtown San Francisco deliver, delivering kegs and you know cases of beer to different offices, and then go work on Noble Brewer kind of you know as my day job. And it probably took a year before it was kind of like. Hey, so much of our actual like money is coming through these sales which we don't really even try. We just had a, you know, sent a couple emails, had a couple friends connect us and now it's it maybe maybe if we tried like it would it would do better. And so maybe we should maybe we should try. So we were originally selling under like the Noble Brewer brand and people were like, "What? I I don't understand. Like you have wine too. Your website doesn't say that." And so it was like mid 20 16 so started the company in you know 2014 so it wasn't until mid 2016 we actually came up with the name office libations and and started that kind of brand and that grew from from there and we shut down the original company and our comp- original brand in Q1 of 2017 so all
0: right so i think this is a good teachable moment here and i'm curious from this so for our listeners at a certain point you come up with your positioning thesis right this is the product that you're taking to the market this is who you think your perfect customer is. And then you go out and then you got to try to validate that. But you also recognize that who your cust- who you thought your customer was going to be is actually not the most profitable customer for you, right? So in your case, y'all are out trying to sell these subscription, customer lifetime value, et cetera. But then you realize like, hey, we actually need to get a lot of cash now. And one of the fastest ways we can do that is selling to these offices that are actually hungry for what we're offering them. And we're not even really trying. It's just coming to us naturally. And so that's what we're recognizing that market pull. But my question for you is, I feel like for entrepreneurs, there's always going to be shiny objects out there. Oh, this looks like a better market or this looks like a better market. How do you weigh the pros and cons of that? And when do you decide like, hey, we need to go full throttle on this one and shut these other opportunities down?
1: That's a good question. I, I want to do a little, little side story real quick is about that sort of positioning pitch. Our first sort of corporate customer that we were selling beer to, and it wasn't our beer, it was just g- generic, every you know beer, Lagunitas, right, was an elevator pitch at LinkedIn. Literally, I rode the elevator down with the guy that was buying it and pitched him on why you should buy beer for me. And so at that point, my value prop was like, I'll get it to you cheaper than you can get it from BevMo, basically competing on price. And he's like, hey, you seem like a cool dude. Sure, why not? And so we started delivering to LinkedIn and used that to sort of leapfrog and tell other customers, like, oh, yeah, we do it for this company. And so LinkedIn was our first company. And so to go back to your point about shiny objects... It's a great question because I had definitely have shiny object syndrome. I think it's kind of like playing the, the, if you remember the kids game, we we're in the Navy, right? Well, you're in the Marines, but you know, you went to the academy, so you played enough Navy games. So the game Battleship, right? You're literally just guessing at different things and hoping they hit. And then when they hit, you start targeting and focusing on you know sinking that ship. Same thing, I think, with entrepreneurship or trying to get a product to market. You just start firing stuff out. And once you start to hit something, you start to narrow in on that and you start to refine, like, why is this a good thing? And maybe it's, you know, the little boat that has like, you know, two holes in it, or maybe it's actually the carrier with, you know, the whole five hits that you can make on it.
0: So you were smart enough to also say, hey, we should shut down Noble Brewer and launch Office Libations. Why did you need to do that rebrand? It was
1: confusing to customers. I mean, I think that was when we were saying like, you know, even with our email address, right? It was like Claude at noblebrewer.com. And we're trying to to sell them, you know, cases of wine and champagne and, you know, kegs of beer. They're like, wait, I don't see any of this on your website. So, you know, first thing people would do and they got kind of that cold email or sort of even like a, a warm introduction, they'd go to your website and say, okay, do I need this stuff that this person's going to try to sell me? And for us, there was just confusion. The, the, they didn't realize that, oh, we can do this, this and these other things because it wasn't sort of out there and the brand wasn't positioned around Serving offices, and so we came up with a brand that was around serving offices.
0: you know in the veteran space, right? come up with this idea for business. What do we do? We tell everybody about it, we update our LinkedIn profile, right? We do all that other stuff, and now you have to basically shut it down to launch something else right? How was that for you like mentally?
1: For me, it actually wasn't that bad there there is something about you know killing your baby where it's like, you built this and like, I, you know, spent a bunch of people, smart people's time at, you know, business school going over business plans and models and projections. So like, it was a very well thought out product. that just didn't hit And, and it did okay. Right. Like not, not bad, but like not what I wanted to do and not how I wanted to accomplish it. So once I realized it wasn't working, it sort of, you know, became pretty clear that it just needed to
0: be killed. Did you have a team at this point or was it still just you in the warehouse?
1: No, we we had a team. So we got a team up to, I think, five or six people through Noble Brewer and some outside, you know, contractors and help. But then when we realized that it wasn't working, we basically went down to me and another person or another two people and then, you know, kind of made that transition. And a lot of it is, you, you know, when you're when you're starting out, you don't have a lot of customers. You can't can't afford a lot of a lot of help.
0: So at what point did you realize, like, hey, I think this is the real business, right? So we're throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall. You're really getting some revenue, right? You rebrand the company, Office Libations. Did you think you had made it, like you're in it now?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, I, you know, it's easy to sort of sit here today and like, it's like, look what we did. And like, oh, we do all these things. Like, the, all that took like years of learning when we were literally started mainly doing like beer kegs because i knew how a kegerator worked and most people couldn't figure it out physics degree finally came in handy right and it's like oh i know gas works great now once we got to the market and we started talking to them they started telling us what else they needed and they're like oh we also need like you to bring us coffee and we want it to be good we also want you to bring us you know this and this and this and this and they kept asking us for things and we realized like oh this business isn't just this it's bigger than this and bigger than this and so I think even even today, we're still learning about you know what the business could be. And I think that's part of that learning aspect. It's like there's all kinds of ways the market may go that I don't know or haven't planned. So you just want to be responsive and adaptive to to what you're hearing from your customers and, and the market in general.
0: So one thing you're bringing up that I forgot, I want to pull, some, pull back the layers on is B2B, right? You've got a lot of veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses out there. To think they have a product or service that they could, you know, serve LinkedIn or the Facebooks or the Googles of the world. But like, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna take off my armor. I had a corporate wellness business, so I was teaching on-site boxing classes to companies like Spotify, Etsy, Next Jump, etc. And I sucked at the business-to-business side of it because, you know, I you don't know what you don't know. And I was spending all my time trying to convince this like 22 year old office manager. To bring me and my team in to teach boxing classes, but I didn't understand that concept of the economic buyer yet. That like, even in B2B, there's a hierarchy and you could spend all your time trying to talk to these gatekeepers versus being a sniper and going after that, you know, that key decision maker, the one that where you convince him or her, then boom, you're off to the races.
1: Yeah. B2B is much different than B2C because usually you have to get approvals and depending on the size of company, there can be, you know, I think the size of company, the industry of the company, there's multiple ways that they actually buy services or products and sort of understanding, you know, who you're selling to and how they actually buy is, is very important for us. You know, that, that gatekeeper is incredibly important because if we don't have them on our team and they're not on our side, we're dead in the water. It doesn't matter if the executive likes us. They're not going to like us that much to override the person who's actually going to have to manage the program. So we kind of have to play both ends of the spectrum. And I think most people will find that that's true. You got to have your, you got to get through the gatekeeper to get to the actual user. And then you got to convince the the money person that it's a worthwhile expenditure. And a lot of times you're not even going to have the opportunity to talk to people you need to. Um, they're gonna be outside of, you know, your realm of who you can talk to. And so you have to figure out how do you arm your champion, your internal champion that's gonna bring your product or service into that company with the information to make your pitch for you.
0: That's a great point because I listen to April Dumford. She wrote the book Obviously Awesome. And one thing she talks about was B2B buying. A lot of it leads to indecision. So somebody comes to them, they say, Hey, we need snacks, you know, in the in the in the office. All right. Well, what are the options out there available, right? A lot of them don't know. Maybe they'll have some companies, but they can't really distinguish you from the other ones out there. And so that's why, like you said, it's so important in B2B to educate the buyer so they can go into those meetings and be well-informed. Because otherwise, if they don't have the information, they're either just going to stick with what they already have or make no decision in general.
1: Yeah, I think that's 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 spot on. Is when you're selling to B two B, there's there's a process, and a lot of times your timeline does not align with your your buyer, or even your champion's timeline. Things get pushed in you know months. It's not sort of like no, we'll push it off in a week. No, it could be like months. I mean, we've had deals where it's taken a year plus. Before it, and we usually have to go back through the entire deal cycle again and explain everything and why we're the right pick for them. It's just something I think when you when you're you have to keep in account when you're selling for B two B that your sales cycles are going to be
0: long. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. How do you manage cash flow during those long sales cycles?
1: Your existing customers. I mean, ultimately, like we have a contract models to sort of have some good recurring revenue. And so it's really building off of that base and making sure you're not sort of, you know, looking too far ahead on your skis. And it's just good, I think, you know, financial capital management. But it, it can be challenging, especially in growth periods. And especially sometimes your buyer will tell you, yep, you're coming in. We're going to sign the contract and next week. And so you start staffing up or planning for it. And all of a sudden it it doesn't materialize. And they don't actually tell you why. That's the other thing is that a lot of times B2B buyers will be your best friend for the whole process and then they won't return an email. And so it's hard sometimes to learn like what happened. So
0: talk to us about what it was like when the pandemic hit. So I remember where I was at, right? Because again, I had this on-site boxing company, right? I had my gym in Newark. The day they canceled the NBA was the day I was like, my business model's up in flames. How quick did you have to decide to like, this is what we're going to do? So I heard you say, oh, you laid off some people. You had to quickly pivot it. But this was not. I mean, you remember that time where COVID like two to three days for like a week, you know, it felt like two weeks. Like we had to make decisions on the spot quick. Take us back to that moment.
1: Yeah. So for, for us, we were in the San Francisco Bay area. So let's see, let's, let let me make this as gentle as I can. (laughs) I found out probably about the first week of March that some of our customers were closing their office and it was kind of like, okay, that's, that's weird. All right. They'll be back in two weeks. Not a big deal. Uh, how much of our, of our revenue is this? And this is, I think, where it's, you know, my foot stomping moment would be like, you have to know your numbers because stuff can happen immediately and you need to know the impact. And so we we're like looked at the impact. Okay, not a big deal. Yeah, we make less money, but not not a big deal. And then a week later, you know, about half of our customers said that they were going to, you know, close down their office. And then on that, I think it was Friday, Governor Newsom, the governor of California announced the California lockdowns. So this is, you know, we're we're a little bit ahead of the rest of the country when this was happening. And then within two days, you know, the rest of our customers basically said, hey, we're not going to need anything. And so our revenue basically plummeted to a couple of companies that were still going to be in the office because they were labs. And yeah. And and so we looked at it and was like, okay, two weeks, like what are we going to do? You know, what's our cash position? Like where can we, you know, can we still draw our line of credit? So one of the first first things i did was basically max out our line of credit to make sure we had some capital you know are we going to get paid by our customers like nobody knew what was going to happen right and it was it was a lot of uncertainty but we just had to kind of pick a path forward and one of the things i didn't want to do was sort of have that trickle down effect of like oh we you know let go of a couple people and then we let go of a couple people because we think this is going to drag off. So we kind of made the decision to just make one, you know, big cut that would, you know, protect us and sort of told the team, Hey, we, you know, this is, this is why this is happening. And, you know, we hope to see you back in two weeks. Well, we know, we all know how that turned out.
0: What's interesting about it for me is, you know, Claude and I both went to the Naval Academy and when we're thinking about all these tough leadership decisions we're going to make in life, I don't know about you, but I always thought it was going to be like on the battlefield somewhere. Or you know, just in the military in general, I never imagined the amount of mental fatigue and hard decisions I would have to make as an entrepreneur and when you're employing people, you know their livelihood is at stake, and so to let people go in the middle of a pandemic probably was not an easy thing for you to do at all
1: no, I mean it, you know I think one one of our team members like brought me to tears because you know they're they're you know good person, like I didn't want to see them impacted and, and yeah, it, it sucked. I mean, there's no like easy way to kind of kind of talk about it without saying it sucked. <laughs> and I think that's something that you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you're like you're responsible for your people. And coming from like the military, like that's kind of the the ethos and the mindset. And so even when we have you know team members that are underperforming, I want to see them do better. And when we have team members that you know are are Act- actively, like doing bad, like where they're harming the business. I think sometimes you have to put in the frame: uh, is is this for the greater good? You know, is this person gonna hurt the rest of the business to where we may have to make those layoffs again for performance? You know, because the business can't support the team that we have. And so, I think as an entrepreneur, you're always looking for: do you, you know, do you have the right people? Are you like providing them the right things to be successful? And if you are, and they're not performing that sort of allows the, the the performance side but the hey this is no fault of your own layoff you know and, and it's not even my fault right i even like you manage the business poorly and maybe someone say well you weren't diversified enough and i'm like yeah i guess that's true but in all the you know you know you know i had 18 you know versions of plan eight all the way to plan z so i guess that's 26 but i did not have you know a global pandemic on my bingo card and yeah it was It was bad.
0: So we hear this term innovation a lot, right? The low design thinking, get out your whiteboard. But this is a DEF CON situation, right? Like people need to, we got to keep the business alive, right? So you lost all these clients, right? You kept a few. How did you innovate to stay alive during the pandemic and beyond?
1: Yeah, so. (laughs) (laughs) I saw one company
0: rebranded all together.
1: Yeah. So it it was it was a struggle for us because we, we kind of have within the main business, multiple other business units where one where we're like making cold brew coffee and roasting coffee it primarily supplies our business. We also have a retail store that sort of primarily does like high-end craft beers. And so, you know, some of those, the retail store did great during the pandemic. It turns out people just stayed home and drank a lot, <laughs> but we started to see like, all right, who We have a bunch of snacks and food items and things like that. Maybe we could get people to buy snacks and we'll send them to hospitals. And so we did that for a while until it kind of didn't work anymore. We sent out like snack boxes to companies that wanted to send something to their employee. We did kind of like three, you know, third-party logistics where companies would send us stuff. We'd repackage it and send it out. We started doing wholesale of our like cold brew coffee and to, to, You know, there weren't a ton of restaurants and cafes open at the beginning of pandemic the pandemic, but they started to open up later in the pandemic. So we started trying to sell into that channel, but nothing worked particularly well. And a lot of a lot of you know, we went down to basically a skeleton crew, so it was and it was really hard to sort of meet all those requirements. And you know, at one point, I think I had four employees and five leases, which is not good unless you're a real estate company, which we are not.
0: So this is another teachable moment, all right? As vets, we're taught that, you know, mission accomplishment, right? A lot of us start these businesses, and we think we can win. We have no idea what lies ahead. We don't know about market conditions. There are certain things that are just untenable. It is what it is, right? It sounds like you were in a dire situation. What made you say we should keep staying in the fight as opposed to just throwing the flag in the air and saying, hey, we got to shut it down because we're just not going to make it.
1: Yeah, I think for me, like the the goal of starting the business was always to build a business that could run without me. That was always kind of the goal. It wasn't a financial metric. It wasn't, you know, anything else. It was like, I want to build something that I built that will stand by itself. That was like, that's been my goal for basically a decade. And so I hadn't, I hadn't done that. So I, w- I was going to have to do it anyway. So like, and, and then, I'm, you know, I think I've looked at, do I like this market? Do like, I still believe that people will gather in person or are we all going to sit behind a, a, a laptop from our couches and never see people again? I mean, you talked about in the beginning the beginning of the podcast where it's so great to see people in person and it's so much easier to connect with people and and sort of build those relationships and like get to the bottom of problems that I didn't think that that was we were going to all be behind working from home forever. And knowing the size of the market and, you know, I think where we were positioning and some of the opportunities that we saw, we kind of took it as an opportunity to reimagine the business, what was working poorly before that we didn't really like doing, and what were things that we thought we needed to improve upon to really grow and scale the business. So we spent a lot of time during the pandemic, like redoing all of our technology to to basically make sure when the company was coming out of the pandemic, we would be in a better
0: spot. So, that's what I was going to ask you next about setting conditions to thrive in 2022. And it sounds like you said you had a good 2022. What was different about that versus, you know, 2019,
1: 2020? I think it's a little bit of a, you know, mindset shift originally.
0: He had his battle scars, y'all. He was confident. He had a little swag, stayed alive. You know, I always tell people, man, I'm like Muhammad Ali, job been broke, been knocked down, but he's like, look, I'm bad. You know, I'm not a youngin anymore. I got some experience.
1: No, I actually think it's the opposite. (laughs) I think before it was definitely like more interested in, you know, some of the shiny objects and like, okay, like what are some things we can do? And like eventually we'll figure out how how to connect this all into like a cohesive strategy. You know, we'll meet customers like whatever they want us to do, we'll do it. And so we started saying no, which I think I've heard you say before on a, a couple of things where it's like you have to you have to learn to say no and what your brand's not going to do and what your company's not going to do so you can be good at the things that you are going to do. And so I think that's part of part of it. Part of it's the, you know, the market kind of changed. You know, a lot of our larger competitors, you know, we laid off a lot of people. They also laid off a lot of people, so for them to scale back up, it was a lot harder. And I think people also looked at what we were doing and kind of gave us that second look because they they were now like you know open to to change and to do things better for their teams and employees. And we ultimately are, are a pretty flexible company, and so we're able to meet customers where they are. We're, we're not as flexible as we used to be, but ultimately that's about creating a better service and better value for customers by saying no to certain things.
0: So I've seen Claude at a couple different events from the CEO Circle Flying we're at today to the Milvet Startup Conference in San Francisco. And I know one of the things you want to do is have a business that you own, but don't have to run the day to day. And so part of being able to go to these events is having the right people in the right places, systems and process to facilitate, you know, business as usual, even as we're gone. So how much closer are you today than you were, you know, before you started? before, let me say before you start, before the pandemic to actually having a self-sustainable business?
1: I mean, I think we're, I think we're on the way. I, you know, I think it depends always what you want. Right. And sort of where do you, where do you think the business can go? And like, are you excited to keep doing what you're doing each day? But we have a pretty good team in place. But overall, the company is like very, very new because we basically started, uh, restarted <laughs> the company and basically the end of 2021. And so most of our team members, you know, don't even, haven't even been in the company for two years. And so there's a lot of, you know, imagine leading a, you know, a uh, a company with a, a bunch of Marines that are only got two years in. Like, you know, it's, it'd be real challenging without some of that CEO and senior leadership to to help keep everybody working towards the same goal.
0: <laughs> and what's the goal these days for office libations?
1: Like, ultimately, we want to set, you know, the industry standard for service and what we do. We think, you know, we're never going to be the biggest company. The biggest companies are, you know, $30 billion multinationals, but we do think that we can make them increase their service letter level and do a better job for customers. And if they have to increase their service level to sort of keep up with us, ultimately that means a lot of their customers will will be getting better service. Than, and I think that's the big impact is they feed millions of people a day. And so if we can make them do a little bit better job, that means a million people's lives are going to be a little bit easier. So some of it is making the big industry guys do a little better.
0: Do you feel like you've made it yet? No. <laughs> Now, we're here. I mean, this headquarters is nice. And one of the things I was thinking about today, too, is even in this room we have at the CEO Circle flying, every company is over generating at least a million dollars in revenue. And if you follow any small business statistics, whatever, that's like 4% of entrepreneurs. Because most companies don't make it to that threshold. And so now you're here, you're able to get poured into and fellowship and stuff with your peers. How important is it for you to have it now, you know, as opposed to, you know, early on?
1: You know, I think it's, I I heard from somebody and I don't remember the exact quote. It's like, you have to be at the right place like of life, of your journey. And, you know, certain books will mean different things to you. So if you read them at the right time, like you get kind of a message. If you read them at a different time of your life, you get sort of a different piece of value out of it. So I think this program, you know, from someone that's, you know, a much earlier stage company it can be very valuable. I think it can also be very, very valuable if you're a much, much bigger company than what what we are. I think you'll just get different pieces from the program. And that's that's I think the beauty of kind of being around your peers is you'll kind of find peers who have done much better than you and you're like, oh, how'd you go through that? And like they're like, oh, this is what we did. And you also find people who are sort of, you know, struggling and you can sort of pass like, hey, here's what I did. And that's like super rewarding to sort of give back, especially when you're giving back to like your own community. So, I mean, I I think the Bunker Labs program, and they have multiple levels of programming. All of them are about the community and how do we like make sure that veteran entrepreneurs are the business leaders of the country. And, and the more we can do that, I think the stronger the country will be.
0: Looking around the room, y'all, it reminded me that we're older now. You remember how I used to think these groups were like you know, these old business-y grooves sitting in a conference room somewhere, et cetera. You think you're too cool for that when you're younger. You get older. You start getting beat up, you know. And you just need, you know, sometimes you need to go around, you know, other peers, man. You need you need some programming. And it's like you said, when you're younger, you don't think you have time for this stuff, right? Because we just got to drive revenue. We got to do all this other stuff. But at a certain point, you realize, like, you started your journey, what, 2015, 2016? Yeah, 2014. Yeah. 2014. That's a long time. And so you always think, oh, the sprint, sprint, sprint. What if it's not? What if it's literally a marathon? And just sometimes you got to stop in a marathon and get some water or take a walk. That's what I think these opportunities present for the entrepreneurs and ecosystem It's just a weekend to just slow down, take a breath. Right. And, you know, sometimes what's the saying? You got to slow down and speed up.
1: Yeah, slow is steady, steady is fast, I think is uh, the saying. Yeah, I I think, you know, the recharging with your peers, I think, is always a great thing. And I think what I like about this program versus other ceo groups and things that i've been part of is that that shared culture and background where you just you immediately cut through all of the like, kind of you know you take your armor off as you say and and you just sort of connect with people on a very personal level and also sort of at the business level whereas some other ceo groups have been on it's it's all it's all business it's all kind of like You know there's not that vulnerability there and i think a lot of times at least for me like that vulnerability is important one of my books that i read at sort of the right time was the power of broke by damon john and when i like you know struggling with the original company it wasn't really working well and i read that and i was like oh man like everyone (laughs) everyone struggles like there i'm not like unique here like actually if i you know look compared to like what some other like people who built great companies you know, we're at, at the same point, like I'm, I'm further ahead than that. You know, they've massively surpassed that, but it's, it was, it's interesting to, I think, understand that it is a journey. It is a marathon. And a lot of times you just don't know what you don't know. And you're just going to get your ass kicked.
0: So that's what I was going to ask you next is we have a lot of transitioning veterans that are considering pursuing entrepreneurships. You've learned a lot on your journey. Is there anything that stands out to you that you wish you would have known before you took the leap that would have made you a little bit more successful now
1: i think understanding the difference of the civilian workforce compared to the military workforce especially for transitioning veterans i had a i really struggled with the first teams that i was building that were that were sort of civilian teams and, and not getting the same performance and using the same, what I expected out of working with military vets or, you know, uh, when I was in the military working with my teams there, they're they're different, you know, both have pluses and minuses, but I think you certainly have to adjust your style and realize that, you know, your mission may not be their mission where typically when you're in a unit, you all kind of have the same mission.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, when you're in the military, right, there's this bigger vision that we're all working towards, right. Which is you know, I don't know, freaking protecting America, right? That's a mission that everybody can rally around. It's hard to get people to it to increase profitability for shareholders, right? Or make the CEO richer, right? That's what I always try to tell people. It's important to really think about your why, both your individual why and the why for your company. And then as entrepreneurs, as the chief executive officers, whatever you want to call the leader of the company. Right. We really have to sell that vision to our team because I I tell people that vendor in hopping up out of bed at the 11th hour to send a file or email just so you can, you know, get a big exit. That doesn't motivate them. There's got to be a bigger. So I I completely understand about articulate the challenge with articulating that, but also finding people that share the same values and vision as you. Because one other thing about the military, too, is it's really a self-selection kind of process. Right. So you already kind of know a lot about a person by what branch of service they went to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not so much in the civilian sector until you start to build out those core values and the core purposes and the bold belief stuff, et cetera. And then you attract the right talent.
1: Yeah, I, I- 100% agree, and I think the other thing to highlight is in the military we all come from like a, like some sort of you know we'll call it indoctrination right whether you were at the naval academy whether you went through OCS whether you went through boot camp everyone sort of had this very sort of standardized well thought out. Process that's sort of made you uh, be prepared to wear a uniform. On the civilian side, there is no equivalent, right? You like your marketing person may have a completely different background than every other marketing person that's there. Everyone kind of has their unique path in the civilian world, and it's not necessarily. And, and sometimes they just haven't been taught things that we just take for granted. And I think that's probably the one that the thing that I I found very frustrating. It's like, how do you not? see this? Like, how do you, how are you not developing your team? Like, how are you not helping them get better? It, it was just kind of uh, a paradigm shift. And you sort of have to, as a, I think as a leader or a manager, you have to get better at doing that, or you need to find someone who's very good at it. So you can focus on whatever's your kind of zone of genius.
0: So as we close out here, two things. Number one, what advice would you like to leave our listeners with as they pursue their own entrepreneurial journey. And number two, you've given us so much of your time here today by sharing words of wisdom as a community of veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses all over the country, all over the world. How can we support you and your vision for office libations?
1: Yeah, I mean, I hate when people ask what they can do for me. But I mean, if if you know people in the San Francisco Bay Area that are, that are looking for refreshments or want to support a veteran-owned company, You know, connect with me, connect them with me. I'm on LinkedIn. So, and also if you have questions about entrepreneurship, I'm happy to happy to respond. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of for for this community. And I think the one piece of advice I'd give people is, you know, talk to people who are where you want to be, whether it's the same industry, like you want to open a bar, talk to people who have opened bars. There's, you know, plenty of veterans that are likely doing what you're doing. And then make sure you're connecting with, you know, people who are going to support you along the way from both like a, a personal and a business standpoint, I think the hardest part, and it doesn't get talked about enough with entrepreneurship, is is how you take care of yourself and how you prepare you as the entrepreneur or the CEO to handle the like mental challenges and stress that come with running a company. It, it doesn't make for very fun classes or like YouTube videos, but ultimately, if, if you're functioning at 100%, your company has a much higher chance of being successful than even if you're functioning at 70, 80, 90%. And I've probably run that battery down to, you know, negative six before. So it it can definitely wear on you. So make sure you're getting that sort of mental support for you as the operator.
0: Those are great words of wisdom because that's something I've been trying to do a little bit more on the transition, not just talking about, you know, the entrepreneurial journey and, you know, interviewing different founders, et cetera, but also taking the time to record some one-on-one podcasts where I'm talking to our listeners about, You know, having a morning routine or, you know, bouncing back from failure because it's a whole other component of it. You know, it's almost like a sport. You think about it. You know, you get punched in the face every day. I wrote a post on LinkedIn. I said, being an entrepreneur is like walking around with a bloody nose like every day. And so many people commented like that's spot on. You know, sometimes you wipe it away. You're good. But then it starts leaking again because another punch. But this is a life we signed up for ebbs and flows. But Claude, man, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. My man's looking sharp here in Chicago. Uh, I'll be sure to include a link to your website in the show notes. If people want to reach out to you, can they add you on LinkedIn?
1: Yeah, add me on LinkedIn, claude at OfficeLibations.com. Shoot me an email.
0: I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll get in touch for you. And for all our listeners, do me a favor and make sure you actually subscribe to the transition Newsletter. at the link in the show notes. There's a top you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter. Shoot me an email at Mike.Stedman at BarkerLabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at IronMikeStedman. Until next time, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.